Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 2. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 2. We have been focusing our attention up to this point on one man, and that is the prophet Elijah. And of course, Elijah was used in amazing ways, and great stories and adventures and miracles occurred. We watched Elijah come to the scene and point his bony finger into the king and said, it will not rain until I say, and then he disappeared. We observed Elijah as he was fed by ravens and he was taken care of by a widow in Zarephath for a space of three and a half years. We watched him as he went back to Ahab and they had the great God off and he proved that his God was real by answer to prayer. We traveled with him in the valley as he began to grow depressed as he got his eyes off the Lord for that one moment. And God taught him the principle that the journey is too great for thee. It was during that time after that depression that God gave a listing of things that he wanted Elijah to accomplish. And yet as we come to 2 Kings chapter 2... Out of the list of three things that God had given him to do, the only thing that was accomplished was the calling of Elisha. And there was two things that God said that he was supposed to get accomplished that needed to be done. Does this mean that God said it's not going to be done? No, actually, God is going to use Elijah, Elijah to train Elisha, and Elisha is going to be his completer. He is going to accomplish those things that was once set by God to Elijah. And it is going to be completed by the hand of Elijah because of his training of Elisha. But now we come to 2 Kings chapter 2 where we're going to see the passing of the torch. We're going to see the passing of the baton. We're going to see as the change of the ministry as God finishes up the ministry of Elijah and now puts Elisha into the forefront. And actually he's going to have more of a spotlight than even Elijah had. Because of this event we're going to cover tonight. And so if you don't mind to take your copy of the word of God. And turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings in chapter 2. The book of 2 Kings in chapter 2. And if you don't mind let's start together in verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, the word of God says this, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophet that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thee 
from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto Elisha, unto him Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophet that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they had gone over, Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken up from thee, it shall be unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them us both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took a hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2? The book of 2 Kings chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 9, Elisha's prayer request. He said, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Let a double portion of thy spirit. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach a message with that prayer request in mind. A double portion of thy spirit. A double portion of thy spirit. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the great day that you've allowed us to come and open up your word and the opportunity to open up the Bible and to learn from it. And yet this message is so important and so vital as we have a theme this year that everything is possible with God. We understand this message is an important part of this theme that we want to be used of you and we need to know how to be used of you. Again, let this message be clear. I know that there's min much spiritual warfare going on right now. That the lives of people in, are being disrupted, being attacked. Many things are going on. And Lord, part of that is to help prepare hearts. Help, part of it is to help get people so they could get to this message for this time. And they could learn the principle you're trying to teach them. Lord, I know that with all the spiritual warfare going on, there's not a single issue in our folks' life, not a single issue that is going on right now that cannot be answered with this message. And so, Lord, because of this, because of how important this is, because of how vital this is, Lord, I dare not trust myself. 
So once again, I ask that you fill me with your spirit. I reckon myself dead. I die to my desire, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to see accomplished. I give it to you. And you do with what you want. You do as you see fit. You do as you see right in the lives of these folks and in my life tonight. Let your spirit have free reign so that we, we can walk out of here with a better understanding of what you want to get accomplished and how to get it done. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been some time that Elijah has been following with Elisha. Now, during this time, there's been no major miracles. Since this time, we've seen some interactions. You've seen Elijah creep up on Ahab and just scare him to death when he realized that he was in trouble. But you haven't seen any major miracles from Elijah for a while. Has this been a waste of time? Has God stopped working? Actually, the most important work that has been accomplished in the life and ministry of Elijah has been going on during this time. And that is the training of Elisha. The most important thing that Elijah had done was to take the time to disciple, to train, and to prepare Elisha for what God would have him to do. And now it's examination day. Now it's time for the test. Now, whether he's ready or not, the tests are out, the number two pencils are sharpened, and it's time to take a test. And this examination is going to happen in four different locations. Four different times, almost a review of the important high marks, watermarks of the life of Israel. Four watermarks, four locations where God had worked within the Hebrew people's life to teach a lesson. And now he's trying to see, as he's preparing for this last thing, has Elisha learned the lessons that the Hebrew people were supposed to learn during this time? This is examination day. This is the time for the test. There is no redo. If he fails, it's all gone. If he fails, there's no returns. There's no corrections. It is this or nothing. How will Elisha do? The first thing that we come to is we realize that there's a test in four locations as we start in the city of Gilgal. And here we understand it is the place where flesh was crucified. Gilgal, the place where the flesh was crucified. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number one. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So what they're doing is that they're in Gilgal and Elijah says to Elisha, listen here, son, I've got to go. Verse number two. And Elisha said to Elijah, or Elijah said to Elisha, tarry here. So wait here. Stay here. I pray thee for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. So they start to Gilgal and as someone just reading past this, they may not understand that each of these cities are something important. 
What about the city of Gilgal? What's so important? What was the lesson that was taught to these people? Well, if you could remember that Moses had led the children of Israel in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. And then Moses died and his minister, his servant, Joshua, took the reins. And it was under the orders of Joshua that they came to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River opened up and the people crossed on the Jordan River. And they made their first encampment, the very first capital of the, of the Hebrew nation that was going to be formed there was Gilgal. And right after they crossed the Jordan River, before they attacked any city, before they prepared anything else... Joshua ordered something to occur, and that was for the uh, ceremony, the observation of circumcision to be administered. Circumcision hadn't been practiced during the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings. And now they are once again initiating the circumcision and saying everyone needs to follow through this. Everyone needs to go. Now, if I could be delicate about this, what is circumcision? It is a surgery done on males. It is usually done at eight days old uh, for several different reasons. One is because the baby is starting to have their, his own uh, antibodies being formed and he still has mom's antibodies and it is the perfect time medically to go ahead and have a surgery like this with a with a uh, expectation of a cure recovery but it is another thing to ask a full-grown man to go through a surgery such as this and so they do they initiate the surgery with the idea that circumcision is a physical sign it is a physical representation of separation to God. And this separation to God requires this ingredient to die to self. To die to self. You see, circumcision is <coughs> a non-necessary surgery. Meaning that it's not like taking out a busted appendix. And so this is something... <coughs> That is going to be not necessary, but a physical sign. And it is a picture of dying to self, getting rid of the flesh, putting aside the flesh, which is the first necessary thing. The Bible says that the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. They had to learn painfully that the flesh cannot bring victory. Gilgal. The Gilgal truth is an important part. What we learn here is that nobody can have a double portion of the spirit without being dead to self. You cannot trust the flesh. You understand that this is where we have to explain. What do we mean by the double portion of the spirit? What do we mean by the New Testament calling being filled with the spirit? The Bible talks us in the book of Ephesians. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be ye filled with the spirit. We understand that when someone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal savior, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to dwell inside of us. And I will never get or need any more of the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit does not have all of me. There's a war going on in you. That you have the spiritual man fighting against the old man. And there's a tug of war going on. And it is a constant battle. You say, who wins? Well, let me answer it 
the way that an old farmer did. A preacher was sitting on the deck with a farmer and he was watching two dogs uh, fight over a bone. And the preacher went to the farmer and said, which one's going to win? And the farmer said, the one that I feed the most. You understand, when it comes time to a spiritual battle, whichever one you've been feeding the most is what's going to win in the time of battle. If you've been feeding your spirit, walking with God, uh, <laughs> reading the Bible, talking with God, when it comes time to the spiritual battle, the spirit has a good chance of winning. But if you've been feeding the flesh and giving the flesh what it craves and giving it what it desires, when it comes time for those spiritual battles, your flesh is more than likely going to win. Whichever one you feed the most. But that's just talking about normal life. In order to be filled with the Spirit, we have to be dead to self. May I be, maybe I could give you an illustration. Let's say that our life is a cup. And let's say that I want to take this cup and I want to fill it with milk. However, inside of the cup, it's already halfway full with Mountain Dew. In order to be filled with the Spirit or to fill it with milk, I just don't simply take the milk and pour it in there. Because it wouldn't be filled with milk, it will be milk dew or something. In order to fill that cup with milk, it first must be emptied of its original contents. So it could be filled with something else. In order for us to be filled with the Spirit... The very first truth, the very first step is that we must be dead to self. Now again, those good theological terms, what does that mean? Well, if something is dead, it doesn't feel it. For example, if we had a dead horse. I don't know how we get it up here in the first place, but let's say that we had a dead horse. You understand, if this dead horse, I could kick it all I want and it's not going to move. The same thing's true is that if this horse was here and I sat down beside it and I petted it and I said, good horsey, and I kissed it and I said sweet nothings in its ear, it's not going to react because it's dead. In order for us to die, we must die to ourselves, our feelings, our desires, our wants, our ambitions, our goals, they must be put to death. What do I mean by death? I mean you dig a grave, you put it in there, you bury it, and you put a headstone and it says, here lies and put your name and say, that is where I died. I am dead. I am now an empty vessel for God to use. That's what I mean to be dead. When I mean dead, I mean dead, dead. I don't mean go kill yourself. I'm saying you died to the inner man. Your desires, your ambitions. There are sometimes that God wants you to die to, to a goal because it's your goal and it's not his goal. There are times that God, <laughs> you may really want to do something for God, but God won't let it come to pass because it is your ambitions. As long as that flesh lives. Do you know that you could be fleshly serving God? The flesh can have nothing to do with it if we're going to have the filling of God's Spirit. This is the hard part because our flesh likes to live. It's going to protest and it's not going to die easily. Some preacher said it's like nailing jello to the wall. It just keeps sliming back off. 
our flesh wants to live. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Every day it was a brand new process. And let me tell you, there sometimes it was a couple times a day. Because that flesh wants to live. But the Gilgal truth was, is that you're going to have to die to self. And so here is Elijah taking his student Elisha and he gives him the test. We're at Gilgal. God wants me to go do something else. But you can stay here. Stay here. Because if you go on, that means you're going to have to die to self. And Elisha says, uh-uh, I'm going with you. Wherever you're going, as long as you're alive, I'm heading with you. I'm willing to die to self. You see, it's all going to this idea to have double portion of the Spirit. And in order to have double portion of the Spirit, the first thing is to die to self. It must be dead. The reproach of Egypt must be rolled away. That flesh must be put to death. It must be stopped. This is the Gilgal truth. This is what God was teaching the people in Gilgal in Joshua's time. And as they're going back and revisiting this, this truth still stands. That you have to die to self. The flesh must be put to death. We cannot live the Christian life in the flesh. It must be done by God's Spirit. Only God can do God's work. We can be used as vessels. We could be used as a glove. But it's God that is controlling it. We cannot do God's work. Only God can do God's work. So we stop at Bethel. Or stop at Gilgal. And then Elijah tells Elisha. I got to go to Bethel. God wants me to go there. Let us go. And so we travel from Bethel to the second stop. The second phase of this examination day for Elisha. And we come to Bethel. The place where faith was corrupted. The place where faith was corrupted. We start at Gilgal. The place where the flesh was crucified. Now we come to the second stop. Bethel. The place where the faith was corrupted. Notice as we go on in verse number 3. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. What is going on here? Well, remember the history. Bethel was very important all the way up to the Genesis days. This was the place, the house of bread. And this is where Abraham had an encounter. This is where Isaac had an encounter. This is where Jacob had an encounter. This is an important place in the history where they saw God. Then as the Hebrew nation began to grow... And the nation was divided from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who became the first king of the northern kingdom, he realized he did not need everyone traveling from his country to, to the southern kingdom to go to Jerusalem. And so what he did is he perverted the religion. And can you imagine of all things, he set a golden calf in Bethel. And told the people, here is the God that delivered you out of Egypt. He revised history. And now people were worshiping God, in quotes, in ways that God did not say to do. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus explains to the woman of the well that God is a spirit. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
Do you know that there's some worship that God does not accept? And what happened at Bethel is that the faith was corrupted. Yes, they still worship God, but they're worshiping Him in their own way. Well, I want to worship God like this. I feel like this is worship to God. And they have corrupted worship and made it to a thing that made God sick. God was angry with it so much that you could see in the Bible over and over it brought up the sin of Jeroboam, the, saint, sin of, uh, the son of Naboth, who caused Israel to sin. This was such a big deal that God over and over said, this is corruption. This is awful. This makes me angry. This is horrible. As they set up this false worship of God. And the people thought it was fine. As long as I do it in Jesus name. As long as I say I'm doing it for God. That God should accept it. And so they had awful music. And they changed it. But I'm doing it for God. So God has to accept it. They changed their holiday schedule. Well I'm doing it for God. God has to accept it. They changed the way that they worshipped. And where they worshipped. As long as I'm doing it for God, he needs to accept it. And they had a mentality that they could do whatever they wanted. And then to top it off, they had the local cemetery. I mean seminary. Where people sent their children for their faith to die. Oh, there's some good seminaries. But they're very few. And as people send their kids to seminary. The college professors get a hold of them and they erode their faith. They begin to tell them that the Bible's not true and the Bible is full of errors. They begin to explain away miracles. May I give you a very common one that is taught? The Bible scholars and the seminary professors teach the kids that when the children of Israel and they crossed the sea, it wasn't the Red Sea. You have to understand that in the Hebrew it didn't say Red Sea. That's not what they called it. It was actually the Reed Sea. And to the north, uh, uh, as you go past um, Egypt on the north side, there is something called the Reed Sea. And it's not really a sea at all. It's just shallow water ankle deep. And it's nothing for that sea to part and for all the Israelites to cross. But what they did is they actually caused themselves a bigger miracle. How in the world did Pharaoh and his army drown in knee-deep water? But you see what happens is they get a hold of the kids. And they take away their faith. And chisel it away. And say the Bible's not true. And explain away miracles. They teach things that there were seven different Isaiahs. And that there was no way Isaiah could have wrote Isaiah 53 in 700 B.C. There's no way Isaiah could have talked about Cyrus the Great 150 years before Cyrus was born. And so their explanation is that there were seven guys named Isaiah and they put it in the same book. And they explain away the miracles and they corrupt the faith. And they teach people to worship God however they want instead of the way that God ordered. You understand that music is important to God. Music is mentioned 756 times in the Bible. That's more than angels. More than heaven. And anybody should be able to take the Bible and clearly from the Bible explain what good music is, what bad music is, the principles of music. But you know, that's all erased. And people say, I could listen to whatever I want. And I could do whatever I want. As long as it says Jesus somewhere in there. As long as I dedicate it to God. God has to accept it. And he does not. 
and the faith is corrupted and people's trust in God is dwindled down and people are satisfied with entertainment rather than true worship. And so Elijah is met by some preacher boys, some local students at the local cemetery there. And they pull him aside. And it's amazing that everyone knows that today Elijah's going up. They come up to him and say, hey, what are you going to do? Elijah, your master is being taken up today. They're all waiting to see about this whirlwind. They want to see Elijah be taken up. They've never seen a miracle before and they don't think it's going to happen. And so they come up and they begin to harass poor Elijah. And they begin to tell him, listen here, it's not true. Uh, you really think that your master is going to be taken up? In a whirlwind. A chariot of fire is going to come. You're out of your mind. Oh yeah. Today's the day. We're going to see if your faith is real. Examination day. How is he going to respond? Well he told them to shut their mouths. That's probably a good start. But what happened here at Bethel. Is that this religion had been corrupted. And Elisha is seeing firsthand How corrupted it is. And that it needs fixed. And so here is the second examination. Elijah you can see that there's a problem. You can see the corruption. You can see the faithlessness of God's people. And they don't believe God anymore. And they don't believe in miracles. And they don't believe in answers to prayer. And they don't believe that God can work. And it needs to be fixed. So Elijah you can stay here and fix this if you want. But I've got to go. And he tells him, I've got to go to the next town. Pick it up with me if you don't mind. In, um, <clears throat> in verse number four. And Elijah said to Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord had sent me to Jericho. And he said, Elisha said, and as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. So here's the test. You could see the corruption. You could see the wickedness. You could see how they've taken God's name and they've twisted it. And they've squeezed all the faith out of it. And the people don't believe in God anymore. They just use God's name. I was talking with someone just yesterday. And they said God and then they used the foul language behind it. And they had the audacity to tell me that was a prayer. They said, every time I say God and then the other name, I'm saying a prayer. Do you understand? That's how people think. And so, doesn't that need to be fixed? Doesn't something need to be happen about that? But what we learn here is that only God's Spirit can fix that. What we learn is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. God's power is what's needed. The only way that's going to be fixed is not by my oratory skills. It's not by my knowledge of the Bible. It's not by the way I can convince and connive people. It is only by God's power can those people be dealt with. And they will be dealt with in the next chapter or so. But it is only after he is filled with God's spirit. Can he deal with those Bible non It is not his flesh that is going to fix it. And his flesh 
cannot fix it. Test number two. So the first test is the fate. first one where he has to learn. He has to die to self. If he's going to be filled with God's spirit, he has to be dead to self. The second test that he comes to is that he's not going to be able to fix things. It has to be God's spirit that fixes the corruption. It is God's spirit that is going to change minds. It is God's spirit that is going to fix the inaccuracies. Not us. It is God's spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so now we come to the third place. We started there at Gilgal, the place where the flesh was crucified. We came to Bethel, the place where faith was corrupted. And now we come to the third place, the place of Jericho. Jericho, the place where the foe was conquered. Jericho, the place where the foe was conquered. And so now they came to Jericho. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number five. And the sons of the prophet that were at Jericho, they're everywhere, these preacher boys from the local cemetery, I mean seminary. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye a peace. And Elisha said unto him, Tarry he. I pray thee here, for the Lord had sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. And so they came to Jericho where we're at. Remember what happened in the time of Joshua. That Joshua, they came across the Jordan River. And as they came across the Jordan River, they made their very first base of Gilgal. And there at Gilgal, they practiced the, uh, the observation of circumcision. It was the place where the flesh had to die. And then the very first battle they had to do after that was the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho had the walls around it. And God had given them some instructions about marching around it. And they had to march around the day one and not say a word. They had to march around the second day and not say a word. And they went through until the seventh day. And they marched around it. And finally they shouted. And the walls came a-tumbling down. And it was God that won the battle. But before that battle happened, before that place had conquered, there was an important thing. Before we get to that important thing, remember as the city walls came down and it was tore up, God then had Joshua place a curse upon that city. That cursed be anyone who rebuilt it. And that the firstborn of whoever rebuilds it is going to die and the foundations will be built on him. And his lastborn shall the walls and the doors be built and you know what? It happened just like that in the book of 1 Kings chapter 16 under Ahab. And the city was rebuilt and God cursed the city. And what happened is that the water was corrupted. It wasn't drinkable. It needed a miracle to be healed. And Jericho was cursed just like God said. But as we go back to Joshua, the day before the first battle, the day before they were going to walk around, Joshua is looking and surveying the city. He's looking around and praying. And this is the first time he's being challenged. This is his first leadership opportunity since Moses had died. Wouldn't you be nervous? And so he's taking some time by himself. He's praying and wondering what would happen. And all of a sudden there was a writer came. And the writer came and said, approached Joshua. And Joshua said, uh, whose side are you on? Are you on my side or are you that side? 
And the man said, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. And Joshua said, never mind, I'm on your side. And what you learn here in this principle here is that it is not your battle. And that we don't need God to be on our side. We need to be on His side. You know, so, ha- so often we get our flesh involved and we want to be right. And the worst pride is actually when we are right. And we need everyone to show that we're right. We need everyone to recognize that I'm correct. But you understand it's not your battle in the first place. It, the battle is the Lord's. And you need to let Him fight the battle. And you get on God's side. And as long as you're on God's side, God's going to win. But as soon as you take things personally and you make it your battle, you're heading to defeat. That's exactly what Joshua recognized that day. Is that he realized, I don't need to be on my side. I need to be on the Lord's side. That's the side I need to be on. Now as Elisha is here. And he's taking some time. Of course, the local seminary students are making fun of him again. And said, hey, you think your master is going up in the sky? Today's the day he's going up. What do you think about this? And Joshua told him to shut their mouth. Or Elisha told him to shut their mouth again. But in this city, the waters were corrupted. No one could drink the waters. And you know what needed? There needed to be a miracle. There needed to be something that needed to be fixed. But you know, that was something outside of Elisha's power. But it wasn't outside of God's power. And so you know, he recognized what he needed. He didn't need his power. He needed to be filled with the Spirit. He needed God's power for this issue to be fixed. So he said, I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to try. It's not my battle. It's the Lord's battle. I'm heading with you until I get God's power. And so they started from Gilgal. Gilgal, the place where the flesh (coughs) was crucified. They came to Bethel, the place where the faith was corrupted. They came to Jericho, the place where the foe was conquered. And now they made it to the last place, the place of Jordan. The place where the future was claimed. The place where the future was claimed. Notice as we go together now in verse number 6. And Elisha said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And as he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. And fifty of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And the two stood by Jordan. Can you imagine these faithless prophets? They want to see this show. (laughs) This preacher said God's going to take them up to heaven. He says that he's going to ascend up to the sky. We got to watch this. And they were getting their ringside seats with the popcorn ready to make fun of the preacher when it didn't happen. Their faithlessness. 50 of them had lined up to go ahead and laugh at the failure that was going to occur that day. Well, they were going to get a sight. And their faith is going to be tested. Their faithlessness is going to be tested. But they got the ringside seats. And so here is Elijah. And here is Elisha standing outside the banks of the Jordan River. Getting ready to cross to the other side. Verse number 8. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together. And smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. So that they too went over on dry ground. Can you imagine that? There was nothing for Elijah. Hey, I need to get across. Open up for me. And opens up and they walk across. I don't know what those 50 seminary students were thinking about watching that show. But that was commonplace for Elijah. That wasn't even a big deal anymore for him. And so they walked across. Verse number 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over 
that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I should do for thee before I be taken away from thee. So he says, Son, my time's over. God's getting ready to take me. I'll give you one last request. What is it that I can do for you? What is it that I can do to be a blessing to you, to prepare you before I leave? And I want you to notice this amazing request. He says, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Let a double portion of the spirit be upon me. May I say what a great prayer request. What a wonderful prayer request. Some people are afraid to pray that because they said, well, I feel too selfish. You know what has happened? We had in our country 60 years ago great men of the faith. Men who saw God work, saw answers to prayer, saw lives changed. And you know what happened? The person that followed after him said, if I could just be just a little bit like that guy, I'd be happy. And he got his prayer answered. And then the preacher that came after that said, if I could just be just a little bit like that guy over there, oh man, I'd be happy. And God answered their prayer. And then the next guy said, if I could just get a little bit about what that guy had, then I'll be satisfied. And you notice it just keeps diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. Until we got what we have today. We have a little bit of 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 what they used to have. We have nothing. But Elijah said, I don't want to be less than that. I want a double portion. I want God to use me. And that is not a selfish prayer at all. That's what God wants. He wants to use you. He wants to see amazing things. Do you think God wants in his mind to say, you know what? I want to see less people saved this year than what was happened last year. I want to see less lives changed. Do you think that's what God wants at all? Here is someone who said, I want a double portion. I want a double portion of what you have. I want to do more than what you did. Not as a selfish thing, but just that desire. I want to be used of God. I don't want to be used of God smaller. I want to be used of God more. More. That should be the heart of our prayer. I want a double portion. I want God to use me. I don't want to be a plaything. I want God to use me. Give me a double portion. Notice what Elijah said to him in verse 10. Then he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Not an impossible thing, but a hard thing. Why is it hard to have a double portion of the Spirit? May I say this? Why is it hard to be filled with the Spirit continually? Be filled with the Spirit. Why is it that we have to go in little spurts where we say, God, I'm dying to self. I need you to use me. God, I need you to use me. Why is it in little spurts? Why isn't it just a regular thing? Let me show you why it's so hard. Notice as Elijah explains himself in verse 10. He said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be unto thee. But if not... It shall not be so. He said, listen here. If you keep your eyes on the master, you'll be filled double portion. If you don't keep your eyes on the master, you're not going to have it. It's a hard thing to keep your eyes on the master. 
The simple thing. Keep your eyes on the master. But it's a hard thing. Because it's hard for us to keep our eyes on the master. So what happened? Verse 11. And it came to pass. As they went on still and talked. That behold. There appeared a chariot of fire. And the horses of fire. And parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and took a hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He says, I want a double portion. How can I be filled with the spirit? How can I be used of God? Well, remember, he started the idea that he had to be dead to self. That's the key. Unless you're dead to self, it doesn't work. Then you realize the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty. They're spiritual. It is a spiritual warfare. I can't fight the battles by myself. It is not me. It has to be God's spirit. The third thing that he learned is that it's not my fight. The battle is the Lord's and I need to be on his side. I don't have to convince God to be on my side. It has to be God. It has to be God's purpose. May I explain what I mean there? There are so many people who said, I want so-and-so to get saved because it will make me feel better. I want my husband to get right because I want an easier life. Let me tell you, you're asking that request for your side. Why do I want them saved? Because it will honor the Lord. I want them to be used of God. We have to get to the place where it's the Lord's side. It's not our own selfish repair repairs or prayers it's not us asking for it so we can have it easier how does it glorify God and that's what he had to learn and then he learned the last piece of the puzzle here if you're going to have a double portion of the spirit if you're going to be filled with the spirit if you're going to use of God you have to keep your eyes on the master keep your eyes on the Lord and as long as you keep your eyes on the Lord and it's on him I could do all things through Christ which strengthened me. But he asked a hard thing because it is hard for us to keep our eyes on the Lord. It is so hard. Because we live in a world that swirls around us. And then we feel the aches and the pains. We feel the emotions bubbling up. We see the circumstances and they look so big. And our eyes get on the circumstances. Our eyes get on the hurts. Our eyes get on the situation. Our eyes get on the pain. Our eyes get on the feelings. Our eyes get in our own heads. And we get our eyes off the master. When the simple thing is keep your eyes on Jesus. That is the simple answer. But it is such a hard thing. You understand we can see miracles and we can see them all the time. And it's not because of us, it's because of God. But the simple truth is, is we have to die to self. And we have to realize that we can't do it, it must be God that does it. And that we're not trying to get God to do on our side, we've got to join his side. And we've got to keep our eyes on him. We've got to keep our eyes on him. Do you understand that even Jesus himself lived life on this earth moment by moment filled with the spirit? Read Luke chapter 4. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness. He was filled with the spirit when he spoke in the temple. He, Jesus was led daily, moment by moment in the spirit. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If it was necessary for Jesus, it's necessary for us. Our life is to be a continuation of Christ's life through the Spirit. 
that God still has a work to do. Christ still has a work to do. But he said, it behooves of you. It is better for you that I go up so the Spirit can come down. And the Spirit can continue Christ's work through us. It is not our work. It is God's work. We have to die to self because our flesh will just get in the way. It's not our battle, it's God's battle. We can't do it, only God could do it. And it only happens when we keep our eyes on Jesus. And so I want to ask you, dear friend, do you want to be used of God? Do you want to be used of God in a powerful way? You can be. There's no secret ingredient. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary. You don't have to be some secret agent. All you have to do is be available. Someone who's willing to die to flesh and say, God, it's your battle, not mine. You're the only one that could do it. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Every time we keep, get our eyes off Jesus, we get back in the flesh. We have to keep our eyes on him. There's not a single situation that you are facing now that cannot be solved with you being dead to self. And keeping your eyes on Jesus. Not a single situation. Not a single request that cannot be answered. If we're dead to self. And our eyes are on Jesus. You understand? This is the simple solution. Yet Elijah said it correctly. It is a hard thing. It is a hard thing. Because that stinking rotten flesh wants to come back. It wants to get in the way. I know that many of you are going through some hard times. I know many of you have got some weights on you that are unbearable. The solution is for you to die to self. Surrender to him and keep your eyes on Jesus and let him win the fight for you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.